Welcome to Collecting Culture, a podcast about collectors and the objects they love. My name's Andrew Logan, and this month I'm guest hosting for my sister Liz and talking to Monty Smith, who is a musician and a rail fan, someone who's fascinated by trains. His train collection spans many scales, but his primary medium for design and exhibition has become Lego trains. Unbelievably, Lego introduced trains in 1966, initially with a simple push-along mechanic, and soon after with a battery-powered motor and later electrified tracks. Monty and I were able to sit down in person for this interview, and you'll occasionally hear us rustling around and pulling pieces out of boxes. At several times, you'll hear me say Mindstorms, or NXT. These are Lego robotics kits, which allow builders to automate physical functions with the use of sensors and motors. On this podcast, we talk to a lot of established, well, older collectors. At 27, Monty is easily the youngest collector we've interviewed thus far. However, his passion and expertise rivals that of much older rail fans. Plus, he has been at this a while. My, my mom took me to my first model train show when I was about 14 months old, and the whole thing's just gone out, spiraling out of control from there. Uh, you know, she used to take me to the train station in Burke to you know just watch trains for the afternoon. Uh, she took me to train shows all the time. Uh, at one point, when I was a little kid, I had 17 different like scales, brands, just types of toy trains, and that eventually kind of you know I parred it down after a while. What is the chronology of, I guess, if Lego trains are the biggest component of the collection, when did you get your first Lego train, and when did you get your most recent Lego train, or how many total do we, are we talking? I have just under a thousand pieces of track. I have about 16 motors, uh, so for actual operating locomotives. Uh, I, I don't know how many bricks I have. I, I could not possibly begin to guess how many actual bricks there are. My first one would have been, I was eight years old, and we went to visit my cousins for Thanksgiving, and they had Lego trains. And at the time, you know, I had Legos, and I had trains, but I hadn't put the two together. I had a Duplo train, but I didn't really know about the Lego trains. And as I saw what they had, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to have one. So Christmas morning, I come down, and there was a Lego train under the tree for me. And, you know, the collection's been growing from there. The most recent... I've bought, it's a little tricky to say, the most recent LEGO train set that I bought would have been a few months ago. I bought set number 6052, which is the blue cargo train, and you know, it comes with a locomotive. Every LEGO train set comes with a locomotive, a few cars, a circle of track, and maybe like you know, a little truck or something like that. So you got everything in the box you need to get started. So I bought that, and I did what I always do, which is I build it, and I enjoy it for a little while, and then I take it apart and use the components for other stuff. And then, you know, I, 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 th I can think about my first train show that I displayed at, for instance. I was, uh, I think, 11 years old. It was 2001, and I just had one table, and I had just barely enough track. I had to borrow some Legos from a friend to kind of fill in the empty space, and then, you know, the collection's grown from there. And since your first show, how have things progressed to your most recent show? Yeah, the, the most recent show, I, I kind of lucked out because uh, 
they usually have what we call tin plate, which are large-scale, very old model trains, like pre-World War One. And the people who run those trains couldn't make it to the show at the last minute, so they said, can you fill the space? And the nice part about the Lego trains is that they're very flexible. Because other model railroaders, they'll have like a 2x4 sheet of plywood with some framing, and the tracks are like nailed down to it. So whatever they build, they have to kind of work with those modules, those units. And for me, I can set up pretty much anywhere and just fill in the spaces I need. So I said, yes, I can fill in that space. So I had five folding tables. I had a large Christmas tree and a small Christmas tree that the trains were running around, you know, a little town. And I, I can do more than that. I just haven't had a lot of time to work on it lately. It was the problem. Model trains, if you have logs, they're actual sticks. Yeah, they're actual logs. Or like, you know, they're made out of plastic or But in this, we keep it straight Lego. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% Lego. No mega blocks, no paint, nothing like that. Yeah, I know. I also, uh, as a Lego guy, hated when you got the one mega block. I, I get so mad when I find them, you know, when I'm cleaning up or something. I'm just like, how did you get into my house? <laughs> and these link together magnetically. And yes. it's not as electrical engineering as the old ones. But... Yeah, it's there's two systems that I use. Yes. All right, so the old system that they produced from about 1990 to 2008 was called the 9-volt system, and this is your entire motor. That's everything you need. You just pop this on the bottom of whatever you built, and they had metal-tipped rails. You can see this has the metal kind of attached to the top of the plastic. So they eventually stopped making that, and part of the reason was it was very expensive to manufacture this track with the metal rails. So now what they have is all plastic track, and the trains run on batteries. So this one, I don't know if you can quite tell, but there's a big old battery box right here, and then there's a wire running from one engine to the other so I can run two motors on the same battery. So both the rear trucks of these locomotives are powered. They, they call it power function. And the part of that idea was, you know, they had a bunch of different Lego automation um, ideas, and they basically wanted to bring it all under one brand. So they said, okay, everything that does any kind of automation or power thing is now called power function. This is unrelated to NXT. Uh, yeah, that's the only thing it, it doesn't combine with. Like you can, you can get them to interact a little bit, but it's not necessarily plug and play. So that's the two systems that I use. And then if you go further back in time, they have um, 12 volt trains that ran on a center rail, like uh, kind of like Lionel did. And before that, they had 4.5-volt uh, trains that ran on batteries. With Lego? Yeah, with Lego. Oh, they, wow. they actually go all the way back to about 1969 with the Lego trains. I recently fulfilled one of my childhood dreams and went to Legoland. And oh, you, But nice. you see all the pre-consumer solutions they had for making trains and making yes. things that did the automation, the electronics inside the... The cars, and then the cars would have these routes, and they'd come and park on top of the two terminals that would charge them. Mm -hmm. And it was insane. When you run a track, it's all um, Lego train and yeah, no NXT or cars. or Yeah, there's nothing else. I'd like to get some NXT Mindstorm stuff involved in the near future just to like automate a couple of switches for me. But other than that, it's just the train system. I remember they had physical switches because I had a Lego train yeah. too, one of the old model yeah, I, I ones. I got one down here. Right. We can take a peek at it. But yeah, so you could set up oh, a little so motor can... contraption to flip that for you because 
And that's, that's one of the things like with model trains, there are all these articles about how to set up your railroad so it's easy to operate. And one of the problems you'll run into is you have a switch that you can't physically reach. So you have to set up an automation, like you can buy motors specifically to sw throw your switches for you, and those can be digitally controlled. Wow. And so with NXT, you can probably do a, yeah. a sensor that yeah, senses when the train goes by, it'd too. Be, it'd be a bit bulky, but it, it would work. So you're getting into a bigger setup, and you have to kind of map mentally or uh, actual I, diagram what... Let's see. I do it by diagram. I'll, I'll send you this picture. I'll show it to you right now. But in terms of planning the display, I actually have a software. It's very old software, but it still works. So I program in the tables I have and the space I have, and then I can plan out the tracks, how they're going to set up, and then I bring a printout of that with me to the show so I remember what I designed. And then I know, you know this is how I was going to build the setup. That software is called Track Designer. It was made by some guy like, I don't know, 20 years ago, and you know it hasn't been updated, but it still works for me. I was going to ask you if you've used the Lego Designer software. I haven't gotten into the Lego Digital Designer software where you know people design the whole set in there. Just because I feel like it's a lot to have to learn. I'm like, I already have the bricks. Let's just go build it in real life. So, you know, occasionally people ask me, it's like, oh, do you have instructions for this? I'm like, no, I don't, I'm afraid. I'll send you some more pictures if you want. There's something tactile, too, about yeah. touching it that the computer loses. Yeah, like the, I was reading something where they were saying uh, one of the areas where print media is still doing well is hobbies. You know, having the physical magazine is just, it's a part of the hobby. It's the sensation of touch. It's being able to get away from the computer and sit down in your chair and just read an actual physical thing. Because, you know, it takes you back to your five years old and circling everything. Oh, I want one of these. I want one of these. You know, that sort of thing. In the second half of our interview, Monty and I take a deep dive into his creations, his design aesthetic, and the joys of exhibiting. Do you want to take a look sure. at some things? Let's, let's bring it out. This one is just kind of a standard box car that you, know, you can tell it looks pretty clean. And then the flat car next to it, I use different shades of brown to show you know, years of use, different pieces of wood that have been replaced, things like that. One of the things about Lego is that I feel like you're obligated to have kind of a sense of silliness and whimsy to your builds. So here is one of my favorites, the aquarium car. That's actually inspired by uh, one of the Lionel clubs near me. A guy had an actual aquarium car with live fish in it. Just a bunch of little tiny goldfish or guppies or something. And the fish didn't mind at all. They didn't care. They were zooming around the tracks. They they could not care less. They were fine. Very sad Barnum and Bailey. Yeah, I, um, I'm a huge fan of the circus train just because as a logistical exercise, it's extremely impressive. In fact, when the in World War II, the military actually went to the circus and said, how do you guys move all this people and equipment in you know such records amounts of time? And they still use techniques today that they learned from the circus. So I'm taking a couple days off in... Um, uh, April and May to go chase the circus train for the last time. And I, I used to go down to see when they would load and unload the elephants because I live right near uh, what is now Eagle Bank Arena at the time. It was Patriot Center. And they would literally just walk the animals down Braddock Road. And they clo they'd close it off to cars, but they'd walk them down Braddock Road to the train tracks and load them onto the train. And you could just go down and watch. And I got a bunch of old pictures of it. So this car... Um, these round pieces, these round pieces came from a Lego set uh, that was a 
tanker truck, like, you know, it was supposed to be a gas truck. And I said, those round pieces, that would make a good covered hopper. So that's what I built here. And this one, I built that a few years ago, and I'm, I was never entirely happy with how it turned out. So this is uh, version two. This is uh, my old design for covered hoppers. So, and there's nothing particularly wrong with it. You know, it's a perfectly good looking car, but um, I had these for a few years and, you know, eventually a lot of stuff will end up in the bin. You know, I build it and it lives for a few years and then it ends up in the bin. And I said, well, you know what? I think it's about time to make these more realistic. So here is the prototype of the more realistic version that, you know, again, this is just the prototype. So it's still, it's missing some pieces. It still needs some design revision work completed on it. But that's the general idea. And again, I bought more parts for that. So in the next few weeks, I'll be finishing those up and I'll post them on my Instagram and on my website and, you know, that sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. You can definitely see progression and see all the, this. And the it's evolution so awesome. of the idea. And when you look at what they're selling on the consumer side, it like does touch well, this level of realism. Part, part of the reason for that is um, they did try to get into more realistic trains at one point and they just didn't sell enough. And what the Lego company realized is that, you know what, most of the people who are buying Lego trains, you know, they're families with kids and they just want a train to go around their little Lego city. You know, they're not serious model railroads. If I had to put a number on it, I would say there's only like several thousand people who are taking Lego trains seriously in the world, if that. So the Lego company sells um, the kits that are not very realistic, but they're good for kids. And they'll usually have one thing in the lineup that's like a real train. So, you know, they're just kind of a nod to the serious hobbyists. It's like, hey, we know you're out there. Here's something for you to play with. So I'm working on a series of tank cars. Whoa. I already have 11 of them, and I'm planning to build a few more. So this model here, that is the original design from a LEGO train set. And what I did was I literally just popped this part off and stick it on a larger chassis with four wheels so it looks more American. Yeah. And then what I did was I bought more of these round pieces. I found out how many different colors do they come in and I bought them in all the colors. So now I'm, I'm gonna have about 16 of these total. So that's, that'll so be cool. fun. Do you find, that, have you looked into it all? Are they modeled on Danish railways? Um, when Lego started, you know, they were mostly Danish designs. And then as the trains got more popular, they started moving out into more European designs. The first American one, I, I think, would have been the Metroliner set in like the... I think that's what I had. Yeah, the early yeah, 90s. the gray one. Yeah, yeah, the gray one with the red, white, and blue stripes. Mm -hmm. So it looked kind of American. Yeah, that was... But for the most part, they stick to European designs. Yeah. So where... So you talked about how you want to put together all the... Um, the tanker cars. Right. What are the other like long-term or short-term goals? To the this? the eventual goal is to have a model railroad built entirely out of Legos. So you know I'm planning you know a town, city, and mountains, and you know all industries for the trains because you know that's that's part of the nice thing about trains is a lot of Lego clubs kind of center their displays around the trains because the train show gives them an opportunity. To bring their trains, to bring all their creations out to the public, and the train adds just a little bit of animation. You know, just makes it a little interesting. 
because you know on real model trains you can get animation in terms of like operating accessories like maybe a, a log car that loads itself or you know signals flip on and off and the uh, you know just that little bit of motion makes the display that much more interesting so that's my goal is to just build an entire model railroad out of Legos. So I'm trying to branch out from mostly only building trains into building scenery. Like recently I started working on some trees and I'm working on basic hills and just trying things with mountainsides. Right now it's just kind of an experimental phase and then once I have the space to actually build it all, that's, that's the problem is having the space because these eat up a lot of space. Yeah. Space is uh, always a concern with collections. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the exhibitions, do you feel like it's mainly for networking or do you like having kids there and, and showing them the, you it's, know, getting It's a them little into bit it? of both. Like, uh, mostly I've been displaying at the Fairfax Station Railroad Museum lately. I haven't had the time or energy to do bigger shows. I'm hoping this year I'll be able to start doing that again. And, you know, it's, it's nice to show it to the kids. It gives me an opportunity to bring them out and run them because, again, I don't have the space at home. And then... What we'll do is the people who run the trains, you know, we all brought our trains, we'll meet there early before the show starts and just hang out and run trains and talk and that sort of thing. And when you're doing a, a, a train creation like this, you're working from a photo probably. Yeah. And you have kind of an idea of where you want to go or how you're going to render it or do you put together pieces into larger pieces or um I'll, it, it depends what i'm building you know i'll i'll do some research i'll get as many pictures of it as i can at least from the angles you know from all sides and then i'll just start building and see you know does this work does this work let's try like this and you know there's many occasions where it's like well now i have to take apart three quarters of what i built to fix this one thing but yeah it's, it's a lot of experimentation and that's why you know when i come up with a design i like i repeat it if i can and, you know, I have plenty of cars that are one-offs, of course, but, you know, unit trains are a big part of modern railroading, you know, a train that it's all one commodity going to one customer, you know, it's all one long coal train or one long ethanol train. So that's why I have the tank cars, because I usually run them all together as their own train. This one's kind of neat, because by itself, you know, it's just a hopper car, not much, but the way I run them with Lego bricks inside of them, because you think about real trains, you know, they're hauling coal and stone and iron ore. So I said, well, Lego should haul the building blocks of its world. And my plan is to have a, a mine where the cars will be loaded automatically. And then I'm working on a rotary dumper right now that'll just turn the car upside down to unload it. And I guess, so you have a thousand, over a thousand units of track. Yeah. Some of them are old tracks, some of them are new tracks. So you do yeah, I think about loop, outer loop type. Yeah, exactly. I, part of my downfall I'm experiencing is that I studied track planning for realistic operation, and that kind of, I feel like that's kind of uh, narrowed me down into a point where I keep trying to be realistic, and I'm like, you know, I'm not operating realistically, I'm just running them in circles at a show. So over this past winter, I went and saw some other model railroads that were designed for display and just kind of looked at what they were doing to get some ideas. It's like, well, what could I do? You know, what can I do differently to make mine run better in terms of display? Yeah, to maximize the amount of time that they're out of. Exactly. You know, like I've seen the model train setups that have tunnels and I'm like, exactly. it's cool to see them go in the tunnel and out of the tunnel, but if it's... <laughs> Don't make a super long tunnel. That's kind of well, useless. I've, I've seen one trick where a guy, um, he, 
he had the tunnel portal here and here, so it looks like the tunnel just goes like this, but it was actually a loop inside, there was a cross track, so a really long train would disappear inside the whole tunnel and then come out and... Snake. You, you know, if, if you know how to build a model train set, you say, oh, I, I see what he did there, but, you know, little kids were watching this and their heads were exploding because wow. they couldn't figure out how he did it. That's awesome. I imagine also, I guess, if you had a tunnel, you know, that ran along a mountain with beams, you get the, the panoramic effect. Exactly. Which is cool. Um, and you had Legos before you had Lego trains. Yes. What are your favorite sets? I mostly buy a lot of like city sets to use for parts. I bought um, the Lego Technic. I like the big ones, like the front end loader and the excavator. I still haven't built the front end loader. One of my, uh, I'm a music teacher. One of my students keeps asking me, "Have you built it yet? Have you built it yet?" I'm like, "Oh, I'll get to it." But yeah. Hopefully, I'll have some time soon to actually work on the it. The big space shuttle on the yes. city set was one of the things that I'm like, oh, I want it. $120 or something's not unreasonable either. Like sometimes yes. they want $400 or something like that. Yeah, there, there was a thing uh, lately where they're saying that thieves are actually stealing Legos because they're literally worth their weight in gold. Because as soon as the set goes out of production, the price skyrockets. Yeah. So it, you know, it increases in value. It's a very good investment. If you keep it in the box. If you keep it in the box. Which we don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, one, one of my other plans is to buy um, a bunch of the trains from the catalog that I wanted, you know, in the early 90s through the early 2000s, and just display them in a display case like people display their old model trains. You know, I, I'm going to do the same thing. And for that, you know, I don't need them fresh in the box. I don't even need the set complete because, you know, I've got enough parts. I can fill in the gaps if I need to. So uh, I'll, I'll buy it used and... You know, if you're willing to buy used and maybe incomplete, you can get a pretty good deal. So you talked about how you're looking into building hills. Yeah. How do these tracks flex? Do they um, move? Funny you should ask. They actually have flex track now. Oh. So let me get out a few pieces of track here. We'll just put a piece of regular track at either end. Um, I need to do some testing to see what kind of grades the trains can really handle. Because real trains, once you get past like 2 or 3%, that is almost impossible to get a heavy train up without some serious additional power. And you know, there are other types of trains that can handle like eight, nine, or ten percent. So Lego trains, you know, here's a piece of flex track, and you can see we can get some flex out of that. And I'm just gonna pop a part off of this. It's my train, I can do it if I want. So if we have a section of track that in one piece of track it goes up by one Lego plate like this. Yeah. That is a 2.5% grade. So that's already pretty serious for a real train. If you go two plates up, it becomes 5%. And that is almost impossible for a standard real train to handle. You'd need a long straightaway you'd, to, to you'd need get some that kind of serious extra power. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, up in the mountains in the Rockies, they'll have. You know, let's say a train takes three engines to get it across normal terrain. When they get to that mountain, they add four more on each end. So there's 11 trains just screaming at full power at going about three miles an hour, but they make it over the top of the hill eventually. You know, that's, that's one of the things, you know, that's always great to watch. That's, you know, what really gets me going about trains is just that massive amount of power and you, know, you think about it, you're putting it down on a space the size of a quarter on the rails. Steel wheel on steel rail is like the weakest point of modern railroading because getting the traction can be very difficult. 
Like this last uh, summer, they brought a steam locomotive up to Manassas, and they were running excursions on it. And before they came back to Manassas from Front Royal, a rainstorm soaked the area. And I've got a great clip of this steam engine coming into view and all four wheels just slipping at, you know, just spinning. And this huge plume of black smoke comes out. And then it slows back down and it keeps just marching right up the mountain. And I, I later met the engineer who was running that. And I was like, dude, that was impressive. That was something else. I'm planning, I think this summer I might go up to Pennsylvania because there's a group near like uh, some Pennsylvania County Fairgrounds or something. They have a very small steam locomotive and that one, $125, you can run it for half an hour. And I'm like, you know, I think I can scrape together $125 for that. So, These are tracks they don't use all the time. Yeah, it's they have like I think a mile or so of track that isn't connected up to anything else. And like when you run the six eleven, you know it's a it's a huge mainline steam locomotive, but you're running it on museum tracks, so you can't you know mess up real operations. That was part of the problem that they stopped the excursion program years ago was because there just wasn't enough capacity on the railroad to run the steam excursions anymore. They just didn't have the space. And, you know, they were also concerned about insurance and other things like that. And then they brought it back about six years ago. They said, you know what? We want to do this again. You know, let's, let's make it happen. Let's squeeze them into our timetables. And it did work for a while. And they stopped doing it just because they said it was a five-year program. We did our five years, and right now we're just not thinking of doing more. But uh, this year, 611 is running out of Spencer, North Carolina, and Roanoke. So I'm going to go down to Roanoke and see it at the end of May. And that'll be fun. So it looks like we're down to about the bottom of the box there. We got one more piece in here. We can finish off with the classic red caboose. Yeah, the, the, the fun part of the caboose is um, the reason you see them everywhere is cabooses survived up until about the late 80s. And, you know, when they said, okay, we don't need cabooses anymore, that was by that time people had realized, hey, when this stuff on the railroad goes away, it's gone. So cabooses were donated all over the place. That's why you see them every so often in like a park or in front of a, you know, a retirement home or something like that. So what do they put at the end of trains now? Uh, it's called uh, an EOT or a FRED for flashing rear end device. And it's basically just a metal box with a computer in it that monitors the air brake pressure. And it's got a little red flashing blinking light so you can see the end of the train. You can find out more about Monty's Lego Trains at his website, montyslegotrains.net. If you're in the D.C. area, Monty will be exhibiting at a couple shows this month, August 5th and 6th at Brick Fair, a Lego Expo in Dulles Expo Center, August 26th and 27th at Greenberg's Great Train and Toy Show, and September 3rd and 4th at Fairfax Station Labor Day Train Show. If you enjoyed this podcast, like Collecting Culture on Facebook and Instagram, and check in with us next month when we talk with another collector.